This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. forget a very close friend of mine a fellow i know for decades known from growing up great guy he had a, a son maybe about five or six years before before i did and he said to me either right after his son was born or while his wife was pregnant he said something to the effect of you know i really hope my son's not an a-hole and I thought that that was such a weird thing for a new father or a prospective new father to say because, you know, my thinking is, you know, you're in control of a lot of your son's life and you're going to be sculpting him. But I didn't think anything of it. I kind of just, you know, went on with my life. And then when I had a child, I was uh, struck with a lot of those same feelings, meaning you want your son to do well, not only do well in terms of being able to make a living and be healthy, but you want him to be a good person. And I have seen so many people that I've known over the years, friends of mine, even some family members who are great people and seem to do everything right as a parent, and they're children turn down a wayward path. Maybe they get involved in crime. Maybe they get heavily involved in drugs, and that leads to all sorts of other things. And I I thought about this a great deal over the last few days because of this trial that's going on over the Michigan school shooter, Ethan Crumbly, where his mom is now on trial. And I'll tell you why in just a second. But I thought of a commentary that Dennis Prager, radio talk show host and writer, did many years ago. He's got Prager University. He's a big shot now. I think he's bigger than ever. And he asked his callers one time, and this is going back maybe decades. He said, if you had a child, would you rather that child be killed in a school shooting, God forbid, or would you rather your child be the school shooter? This was one of the few talk radio subjects ever that I've ever heard every single person call in for a whole hour all said the same thing, which is that they, as tragic as it would be, they would rather see their child be killed than actually be an instrument of this sort of destruction. Well, in Michigan, school shooter Ethan Crumbly's mom and her married firefighter chief lover evidently held sex parties at hotels while she ignored her son's pleas for mental health treatment. That's what prosecutors suggested in court on Friday. Jennifer Crumbly and her lover, Brian Maloche, would often find strangers on this swinging app called Adult Friend Finder and arrange meetups with them at a local hotel after work. This was while her son was clearly demonstrating incredible mental health issues, severe anxiety issues, all sorts of issues with uh, depression. And now the mom is charged with involuntary manslaughter over her son's shooting rampage. And she admitted 
to using the app to arrange for other people to meet us there. But she claimed she was going to hotels after work on business. Here's a little bit of her testimony talking about the situation involving her son. Do you believe that you knew or had reason to know your son was a danger to anyone else? No. Um, as a parent, you spend your whole your whole life trying to protect your ch- your child from other dangers. Um, you never you never would think you have to protect your child from harming somebody else. That's what that's what blew my mind. I was just that, that was the hardest thing I had to. <clears throat> to stomach is that my child harmed and killed other people. So I have to tell you, this was one of those stories. I read everything I could on it this weekend because I would go from totally empathizing with the parents of these people that were murdered to then listening and reading the comments of the mom of the murderer. And I would go back and forth. I would say, oh, my goodness, how could she have not been more involved in her son's life? How could she have not done whatever she could to help him with all these severe issues that he clearly had and then put him in a position to get weapons? Well, now... Uh, Both Jennifer and her husband, James, have been charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter for their son's deadly high school rampage. To me, this story as a talk topic has everything. There are legal issues. There are ethical issues. There are psychological issues. There are moral issues. And I can't think of anybody that I'd rather turn to as I'm kind of trying to figure out what I think about this than the man that wrote the book No Mama's Boy, guy who has a fascinating life story. And if you have not read that book, you don't know the half of it. Believe me. I want to welcome veteran broadcast journalist, my colleague at WABC in New York, Dominic Carter. Hey, Dominic. And good morning to you, Mr. Morano. First of all, how was your weekend? It was great. It was great. You, you know, do anything you, good? I uh, I got uh, I caught up with some friends. I uh, caught up with some family. Got to spend some time with my son. It was uh, a really uh, wonderful, wonderful weekend. Okay, we'll take it. We'll take it. I I think Frank that you and I and and first to, you mentioned my background. So my mother was a chronic paranoid schizophrenic, mm. and when I was a little boy, uh, as a toddler, uh, after severe beatings, I won't go into the details. Um, from I was her. Re- from, from her. I was removed from her custody and placed in New York City uh, foster care until my grandparents were able to uh, get me back out. And it's a long story. The book is about my relationship. It's titled No Mama's Boy because I never had a traditional relationship with my mother. And the subtitle is How I Embrace the uh, the, the the Future. How I Embrace the Future and I'm forgetting and let go of the past mm-hmm. because all my life looking back. So, but this gets to the parenting question. So. It's a little different because my mother literally had to get passes to see me from doctors, weekend passes to come out to to see me. In some ways, your relationship with your mother was almost the opposite of Jennifer Crumbly's relationship with her son. It was the son that had severe mental illness issues, and it was the mom that seemed relatively normal. Now, I will say this before I condemn the mom. Uh, it's hard for a lot of parents when they feel they've reached the end of the rope and they can't get any more help for their child. It's tough in some situations. And I don't want to judge her lifestyle, but I am. Anyone that's on an app engaging in a swinging lifestyle, in my opinion, that's time she should have been spending with her son and, and dealing with her child's issues. And I think that you and I could agree. Your son is, what, two, two years old? Right. Right. You know, my kids are grown. 
Uh, I I don't believe in that what helicopter parent type stuff. Right. Uh, Me neither. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, I I your friends. I want to know. I want to know who their parents are. What do they do for a living? I say to my wife, did, did you check them out? Did you talk to them? Do they seem like because I've learned that with with childhood sexual abuse and so on, it's often done by someone that knows. Oh, almost that, always. That, right, almost always. Yeah. And so, you, in my opinion, you've got to be a responsible parent. How do you define responsible? You're involved in almost everything. Everything. So, like, I, I'm, as you were reading your open or, or saying your open, you don't read stuff. You, you do it in, you're very good at it. You know, you're talking. So, but anyway, what I was thinking about was when my daughter was, um, when she was uh, 14 or 15 and she wanted her first job at a McDonald's. And it was a, in a very undesirable neighborhood. And my wife said, let her have the job. And I said, over my dead body. I just would not. Mm-hmm. And so then once once they, once they, she got the job in a nice area, a, a good area, then I was okay with it. I just feel that, that we've got to be responsible in, in children's lives. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And by the way, if people want to check out uh, Dominic's book and learn more about his story, they can go to the website, nomamasboy.com. That's uh, nomamasboy.com. Uh, and uh, there's some great stuff uh, on there. You can even buy a Dominic Carter bobblehead doll, which I've purchased. As uh, Really, it's great to have you in my office keeping an eye <laughs> on me. I feel like uh, i got to make sure I'm sitting up straight. But, um, you know, I do wonder also, it, it seems like, and, and if people want to comment on this, I'd love to hear from them 800-848-9222 800-848-9222 because as i read all the details of this story um one i'm struck by the fact that i really do think there should be cameras in every courtroom because you know there's a lot of information that you, the public can learn from this two i went back and forth between wanting to throw these parents in prison throw the book at them to feeling a lot of sympathy for them and what they were going through. So both of them have pled guilty. Their son, Ethan was sentenced in December to life in prison without the possibility of parole for killing four students and injuring six others at Oxford high school. And look, we're on uh, AM 910, the superstation in Michigan. I think this is actually in our listening area, but Dominic, what do you think beyond the morality of it beyond parents should have been doing more what is that? I know you didn't end up getting that law degree, but what do you think the legal ramifications are for the parents here? Do you think they're going to end up getting convicted of what they're charged with here, involuntary manslaughter? Manslaughter is a, a tough, uh, a tall order to get in a situation like this. I to be to okay. You asked the question. I don't think so. You don't think so. I'm sure. I'm sure there are some lesser charges uh, as it relates to this uh, child abuse. Uh, I don't know what the other ones are. But uh, but involuntary mans- manslaughter, no. Uh, because even you or I, God forbid, children can have a weapon in the house and you may not know it. But where I feel parents are responsible is that if you notice anything abnormal about your child. See, th- this is one of the problems that I have. Parents have to be parents. You can't look to be your child's friend right. or best friend. It's never going to work. You can't sit there in this day and age, parents smoke marijuana with kids. That is ridiculous. Do you understand what you're really saying to them when, when, when you do that, when you engage in that? And so, uh, for example, if I notice something, um, if I notice something odd uh, about my daughter's behavior or my son's behavior, I'm going to inquire about it. I'm going to ask my wife about it. I'm going to follow up on it. 
and I'm not going to just accept what they say to me. And I don't think you would be that way either. I, I would li- I would not think so at all. I mean, I guess you never know how you're going to react until you're in that right, situation. Right, now, the right. prosecutors, obviously this is what prosecutors do, they painted a very damning picture of the, the mom and both parents. Uh, they, because of the lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. And they said that she was so preoccupied with her, uh, her hobbies that she ignored her son. They showed text message exchanges between the mom and the son, Ethan, in which the word love only appeared three times over the course of years and they even and and this kind of really got to me they showcased excerpts from his journal in which he wrote that my parents won't listen to me about help or a therapist and i have zero help for my mental problems and it's causing me to shoot up the effing school I mean, uh, to see that in black and white and to read those di- uh, diary entries, and they seem to come as a little bit of a shock to uh, the mom, but uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how a jury's going to react to that. I don't understand how it could be a shock to, a, to the mom because he was, he, he was crying out for help. Yeah, neither do I. Uh, 800-848-9222 if people want to comment on this. This is the shooter, and I don't like to usually mention these shooters' names, but I, I think it's relevant here since there's an ongoing criminal case in which the outcome, unlike is usually the case with these things, is very much uncertain. Here's Ethan Crumbly, who was the school shooter who murdered four people and badly injured, including uh, badly paralyzed, um, you know, some others. Here's Ethan Crumbly. I am a really bad person. I have done terrible things that no one should ever do. I have lied, been not trustworthy. I've hurt many people, and that's what I've done, and I'm not denying it, but that's not who I plan on to be. Whatever sentence it is, I do plan to be better than I am. I don't know if you believe that, but records of 15, 20, 25 years can show that it will change. Because it may not show it now with only two years of records, but I am trying. And all I want is for the people I hurt to just have a final sense of culpability that justice has somewhat been served in any capacity that they can recognize it with. And that was before he was sentenced to life in prison in December. Meantime, this is a victim, Kylie Osage, who... Um, I mean, it's very difficult for even for me to describe the injury that uh, Kylie Osage uh, experienced. Even though I am able to attend school, I'm still in constant pain. Every single day when I get out of bed, the physical pain hits me hard. For reference, Your Honor, it has been 738 days of constant physical and mental pain. It has been 738 days without playing basketball or tennis. It has been 738 days of not being able to ride my horse. It has been 738 days of reliving the tragedy in my head every single hour. It has been 738 days of living with PTSD, scared of the thought of someone hurting me again. And that lady has her, young lady has her spinal cord damaged and her life is irreparably different. I mean, I I just, you know, it's a tragedy all around. But... Consider that young lady can no longer go in a public place and not fear right. that someone may snap at any moment and pull out a gun. Mm. I mean, it, it, I I haven't really followed the case, but the parents bear some responsibility. I'm yeah. sorry. It's going to be very interesting to see what and, happens. And, now, and here's how I define bear some responsibility. 
someone should have been ringing the alarm bell Mm -hmm. as far as, look, sometimes parents run into a wall in terms of getting services for their children. But look, we have a very serious situation here. My child may be capable. I know it's tough, but my child may be capable of this. So that at least, and you know, it doesn't help you're engaging in a swinging lifestyle, you know, and you've only expressed the word love three times in, 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 in scores of text messages. Well, I mean, as you can speak to from your own experience, some people might not be meant to be parents, right? Um, yeah, I don't know if that's the case here, but it's a, 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 it's a wild situation. We're going to take calls on this in a minute, 800-848-9222. On a much more upbeat, much more positive note, uh, this is the uh, first program that we're airing on on a brand new station, K-Dawn in Las Vegas, one of the great uh, radio stations in the West and in the country in general. What do you know about uh, Las Vegas, Dominic? Can you give me uh, any pro tips on, uh, I don't know, Blackjack or something? So uh, they have a brand new sports station. Stadium for the uh, for the Raiders, mm. and um, it gets really, as you know, really, really, really hot. And if you're in the they, whatever your fantasy is, casino wise, it's there. And uh, be careful gambling. Uh, I I won, but oh, first, but first I lost. <laughs> first I lost, and then I went back and won. And and I, this is a true story. This is a true story. So I'm in a convertible driving up the strip with uh with my wife, right? And I don't drink that much anymore. And I had a couple of drinks and I fell asleep by at a stoplight. I sometimes I just say just let me get 10 seconds. Right. Of oh, sleep. I know. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> and fell asleep on the strip and she's yelling and screaming waking me up. Thank Wake God up. She the was light, there. The light yeah. changed. You got to go. You got to go. So, so I, have you been to Vegas? Yeah, it's been about uh, been about three years. I was on this plan of going once every five years, so uh-huh. I'm doing about two years. But I think we may have to do a market visit together yeah. to scope things yeah. out, do some research. Hey, I know you got to go, but I just want to tell you the situation where the cops were attacked by the migrants, mm. and and God knows where half of them are right now because the district attorney let them go. Understand the cycle of what's going on. Another cop has been attacked. Times Square, punched in the face. Awful, awful. And, uh, you know, the, I, you had a great interview with my friend Sal Greco on uh, on your program, and uh, I think you both pointed out this is a, a nationwide trend, kind of the broader disrespect that police officers around the country are facing. So thanks for being such a great a- advocate, not did, only did, for did you stay police, on the strip? but for everybody. Did you stay on the strip? Yes. Yeah, I've stayed I in stayed different places off on different strip, trips. So, yeah, uh, sometimes that's fun. I like that, too. Eh, it wasn't No? Okay. Well, I like downtown Vegas, too. That's kind of... My, that's my wait, that's different from the from the strip. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Technically, the strip is not even in Las Vegas. Technically, that's Paradise, Nevada. Yeah, that's why we have to go do. Now, a there's market. one area I didn't go to. Which which one? The area that neither one of us should have ever <laughs> gone to. <laughs> let's just say let's just say HBO did a series on. Duly uh, noted. <laughs> duly noted. All right. Well, again, when we do our research, we're gonna have to do we're gonna have to do a thorough vetting. So hopefully, we'll get there before two years. We'll have to plan a trip. Thank you, Dominic. I'll Thank see you, you tomorrow, my Thank friend. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dominic Carter, who uh, we love having on in this hour. Been doing a yeoman's job of being willing to extend his day a little bit and uh, to uh, hang out with us for a bit. Hey, 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on this situation involving uh, the Crumblies, I'd love to hear from you. I have some other audio from the trial, but I'm not sure if I'm even going to play it because it's so it's such a downer, honestly, but I think it does raise some pretty important ethical, psychological, and legal issues. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. 
The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. After the hour, this is, of course, the great James Brown. And uh, there was a, a wonderful scene involving this song from the film uh, Rocky IV. We're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later uh, when we look back at the life and times of, uh, of Carl Weathers, who I was sorry that we lost on, uh, on Friday. He was uh, one of my favorites, one of my favorite personalities, and we'll talk about him a little bit later. I'm going to get back to your calls in a moment, 800-848-9222. Talking about this uh, sad story involving a school shooter, Ethan Crumbly, whose parents are now being charged with involuntary manslaughter. And uh, the the mom, Jennifer Crumbly, claimed that it was her husband who decided to buy their son the 9mm gun that he would use to carry out this massacre. Uh, she said that James, that's her husband, and Ethan bought the firearm together on Black Friday while she was out shopping on her own. And when asked whether she objected to the purchase, the mom said... No, I was more angry that they cut into our Christmas tree time. Again, um, this does not sound like the kind of young man that should have had a weapon at all. Um, Paulette Lofton is, um, she is a prosecutor, excuse me, she is the attorney for Ethan Crumbly and talked about the sentence that would be just for Ethan Crumbly. Why do you feel your clients should serve less than life without parole? Uh, there's a number of factors. I think those will be made um, evident at the Miller hearing. Um, so that's all I'll say on that. He did indeed get life without parole. Uh, originally, we filed a notice of insanity. Uh, and based on the conversations that we've had and the review of the discovery, uh, we felt it appropriate to withdraw that and have him plead guilty today. And that's where we are now. He's going to life in prison without parole, and the parents, their fate is undetermined. And uh, I would think this trial is going to wrap probably this week. We'll see. 800-848-9222. Um, uh, the, 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 uh, you know, it's funny. I have my wife who's been sick for three, three or four weeks. My son has a cold. And he's got basically a perpetual runny nose. Every time I, I I look at him, he's got, you know, mucus coming down his nose. And I, I'm basically standing there with a facial tissue all day long, you know, wiping his nose, especially if we go to play outside. I think they may have finally got me, okay? Because I have been withstanding everybody. Gnome, Matt Blaze, Elias, my wife. Carmine, but again, I guess there's only so much firsthand mucus you can be exposed to because when I woke up from my nap Sunday afternoon in the very back of my throat, I had that feeling that you get when it's the very beginning of a cold. Now, maybe it's not. Maybe it's, uh, and I took a, a, a zinc 
lozenge. You know, I'm going to stop by the drugstore and stock up on a bunch of other supplements. Maybe it's not getting enough sleep because you get that feeling sometimes and you don't get enough sleep. Maybe it's psychosomatic because I'm thinking I'm surrounded by all these germ people that it's only a matter of time before it finally hits me. And maybe I'm manifesting symptoms in the back of my throat that have no physical reason to be there. But I am concerned. For the first time, my superhuman strength to withstand colds is being tested. So uh, we had a fun weekend, uh, my son and me. Uh, we we got to spend a lot of time together, went to the playground. We uh, got to, it was a nice day yesterday, at least compared to what we've been having. We got to play outside a little bit, play with some of the other children in the neighborhood. But it's funny, my wife went out with one of our neighbors on Saturday night. And so I put Carmine to bed and I put him in, he still sleeps in a sleep sack over his pajamas, especially when it's cold like that. And he's got two long sleeve sleep sacks. And when I was putting him to bed, he was doing whatever he could to delay going to bed. And he's got my number six ways from Sunday. So I'll we'll we'll brush his teeth and you know that's kind of the last stop before bed. And he'll say, um, milk, milk? Okay, we'll get you some milk. And then he'll say, book, book? All right, we read a book, pal, but if you want to read another book, we'll read another book. Okay. We read the book. Give him the milk. And now it's past his bedtime. He says, uh, uh, how about JJ, few minutes? That's Coco Melon. He wants to watch a few minutes of Coco Melon. I don't think so, bud. You watched enough enough uh, television today. All right, then we go upstairs, and he'll find something else. We'll get upstairs, and then he'll say, water. Right? He, he's constantly thinking of something. So anyway, we get up there, and I put his sleep sack on him, and I smell a very peculiar odor, not entirely unfamiliar. I'm smelling the sleep sack. It, uh, darn if it doesn't smell like cat urine. One of these cats, either Prissy or Ed, who have a very uneasy coexistence at the moment, one of these cats urinated on my son's sleep sack. So this, I took him out of the sleep sack. I put him on his other one. But the other sleep sack was right underneath the sleep sack that now has cat urine on it. So I'm smelling this. We only have two. We've now ordered more. But I'm smelling that one. And this is all my son needs. He just needs that opening. He just needs that opening. And he says, no, smells smells bad. Smells gross. Uh, Cat pee, he's saying. Because he views this. Not as, you know, something that's gross. He views this as an opportunity to delay his bedtime because he knows I'm going to have to try and find some alternative uh, uh, bedroom, you know, uh, sleeping accommodations for him. Sure enough, he was full of it. You know, he absolutely did not have cat pee on that second second sleep sack, but he used that to delay. So one of these cats, we don't know who, urinated on... um, Carmine sleep sack. But we had somebody come visit one of the cats yesterday or uh, Saturday. Very accomplished person. I don't want to say who it is. It's somebody pretty well known. And she met with the cat. She didn't seem... She liked the cat, and he certainly is handsome. She didn't seem incredibly enthusiastic about it. And she basically left things by saying, well, you know, I'm not sure you're going to get this cat to leave. He really seems to really love it here. And we like having him here, but he's just not getting along with the other cat. So I, that might have been her way of kind of politely saying, well, I'm not ready to take this this cat at this point, but we'll see. I'm going to give her a couple of days to think about it. But, um, you know, that's where we are at the moment. 
these cats are urinating on all sorts of things. Rugs, blankets, and now Carmine sleeps at. That's where we are. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Christopher in Maryland, listening on WCBM in Baltimore. Hello, Christopher. Hey, that's a tough question you got going there. Um, there's lots of moms and parents out there who have kids that do other things besides shoot them up at schools, and they, you know, they've got victims out there. One of them in Maryland one time, I remember, uh, like a 17-year-old killed a cop. And the mom beforehand was like, you know, she was having a hard time with him, and they kept him in school, and she was like, you got to do something about him before something bad happens and something bad happens, you know? Yeah, so what do you, what do you make of, obviously, you know, there's the moral and the ethical yeah. issues here, but what do you make of the legal issues here? Do you think these parents are culpable for involuntary manslaughter? Well, those particular ones in particular, um, their little lifestyle thing has, you know, that's probably, if, if they, they might not be in such a thing if it wasn't for that, I'm thinking. Um, I don't know what their daily parenting style was because, I mean, some people do things and they keep all that junk separate, I would right. hope. Right. And, you know, and so I, wouldn't, I couldn't be able to say for sure, but uh, it's all um, the guy that bought the gun and stuff. He should have with the said he should have made sure that they just did that at the um, target range, and that's it, you know, or whatever. You know I, what I, mean? I completely agree, and I think that's my that might might be what jams him up legally a little bit. You, you know, know, I think if you're going, I don't know if you're a gun owner, Christopher, but, uh, no, I, I'm, but I, I'm not. A, I'm a Second Amendment guy. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not a gun owner. But I'd like to think that if I were to ever buy any sort of weapon for my son. I would make sure that my son was incredibly well prepared, not only in terms of marksmanship, but in terms of, you know, being able to handle something that could end someone's life. I mean, yeah, I myself wouldn't uh, touch one of those things first unless out some instruction and jump. Yeah, like well, no. And, and you know, I was with a, a gun owner uh, over the weekend who's a very, very active Second Amendment guy, goes to gun club and everything. And that he said exactly what you said as well. Uh, but. Putting that aside, I, I do think this is going to be a very interesting case to see what the jury decides here. 800-848-9222. Christopher is in the Catskills. Hi, Christopher. Good morning, Frank. Morning. So this woman sounds like she was on a, an introverted, intrapersonal ego trip with, with vanity. It's funny because she was a very attractive person like two years ago or a little less when this all started. And she lost. She excuse me. She gained a lot of weight. She aged. Can like you blame her though? Years. I can't imagine what this was. First of all, I look at photos of me two years ago. I feel like I've been uh, through the ringer over the course of the last two or three years. But I mean, uh, given the emotional toll that uh, she's been through, uh, I would imagine she's been uh, put through every ringer there is. Do you think the? Do you know if the husband was involved in in the swinging lifestyle with her, or was she doing this on her own? Because that cuts to her level of culpability in terms of, you know, being into that lifestyle and ignoring the warning cries from your adolescent son. It's a good question. In the articles that I saw, it didn't indicate that the husband was um, was involved. I don't know. Uh, he may have been, but so far I haven't seen that he is. But this is pretty significant legally, Chris, just because this is these are the first parents in America charged in a mass school shooting that their, their child 
carried out. And look, involuntary manslaughter is a tricky charge for some of the reasons that uh, Dominic mentioned. But um, these are the first parents ever to be charged with the actions of their child. And I think if both of them, or one of them at least, is convicted, you're going to see, because unfortunately these school shootings don't seem to be going away anytime soon, you're going to see scores of other uh, parents of school shooters charged in the future. Thank you, Chris. 800-848-9222. Michael is in New Jersey. Hi, Michael. Yeah, I'm going to answer your question. Thank you. Yeah. Whitey Folger murdered people. Folger, yeah. You know what Whitey Folger's brother Bulger. was? Bulger. Yeah. Uh, no, he was, first of all, uh, the name was Bulger. Second of all, well, he whatever. was he was uh, the president of the state senate and the um, and then the head of uh, uh, the university system. He was never a priest. Oh, I thought he was free. Well, what I'm saying is, look at the difference between the two of them. Okay, here's another one. <laughs> well, I'll just say, Michael, though, some people would say that being the leading Democratic politician in the Massachusetts Democratic Party machine is not entirely different from leading the largest criminal gang in Massachusetts. No, he didn't kill people. Why did Folger send people to kill Fol- people? Folger's is the, did it. Folger's is the coffee. Bulger is the gangster. Okay, whatever. Now, we go to Joe Clark. Remember Joe Clark, the principal of the yes. school? Yes. Okay, Joe Clark had two brothers and a sister. Joe Clark was the principal. The younger brother was a detective lieutenant in, a, I believe it was the Detroit Police Department. The, the uh, sister was a registered nurse. And the youngest one, the youngest brother, is doing life in prison, mm. shooting a policeman. And the policeman ended up in a wheelchair. They all had the same parent. Basically. It's luck. I know some rotten parents that have great kids. I know some great parents that had really rotten kids who should have ended up as an abortion or a miscarriage. That's how bad they were. It's luck. It, I, a lot of it has to do with just plain stupid luck. Now, I know similarly situated parents, you know, uh, great parents that uh, have children that become total uh, delinquents and vice versa, just as you do. But in this case, the prosecution is making the case that it was their neglect that led him to be in a position to carry out the school shooting. Does that carry any weight with you? Well, first of all, the one I blame is the father. For buying the gun. You see the son is a nut, whatever. The, if you see your son's a nut job, you don't buy him a gun. But he knew right from wrong because he apologized at the trial. So he knew right from wrong. So he's 100%. Uh, you are responsible for your actions. Now, yes, the father is responsible. The mother, yeah, uh, no, not really. Interesting, interesting. Well, it's uh, going to be interesting to see where this goes. Uh, the father is responsible. The son knows right from wrong. Therefore, he is really the one that is responsible for his actions. Michael, thank you. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
15 minutes till the top of the hour. You, you know what phrase I've never liked, by the way? Quarter of. It's not a quarter of. It doesn't make any sense. It's not a quarter of. It's a quarter to, if that's what you're saying, or a quarter past. I, I don't like that phrase, a quarter of. And you know what? You would think it's the exactly the kind of phrase that I would like because it's sort of old-fashioned. It's a little bit of an anachronism. But... I don't like it at all. I, I always found it confusing. From the first time that I heard it as a young person, a quarter of what? Why can't you just say whatever time it is? Quarter of. Quarter of? And then I, I have to, I'm embarrassed because everybody uses the phrase and I don't know what it means. I have to go out and find a clock or someone that's willing to tell me what the actual time is. I'll, I'll tell you who knows what time it is. The Chinese. The, I don't know if you saw this, um, the on 60 minutes they did a really interesting piece on the changing face of illegal immigration into the united states and i, I don't want to fan the flames of of xenophobia or anti chinese hysteria but chinese migrants many of which are benefiting from the help of tiktok have become the fastest-growing group trying to cross the U.S. southern border. So after China's prolonged and strict COVID lockdown destroyed her business, a woman decided to leave her two young children with family to travel to Mexico and cross— a woman in China, Chinese national— uh, to travel from Mexico into the United States through a hole at the border— this was all on 60 Minutes last night. I'm going to link to it if you haven't seen it on my Facebook page. You could watch the uh, segment yourself. And I think when you see a mainstream media organization like CBS News doing stories like this, it's worth taking note because she is far from alone. Chinese migrants are the fastest growing group trying to cross into the U.S. from Mexico, more so than Mexicans, more so than Venezuelans, more so than Anybody that actually resides in Central America. So think about that. You have these folks traveling from Asia to Mexico specifically to break into the country. Uh, Last year, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol reported 37,000 Chinese citizens were apprehended as um, as they attempted to illegally cross the border. That's 50 times more than two years earlier. Now, I'm thinking... When you see that, 37,000 apprehended in one year, how many got through? How many got through? Many of the migrants that spoke with CBS News say they made the journey to escape China's increasingly uh, repressive political climate and sluggish economy. I get it. I believe it. I mean, if I um, was living in a Chinese communist dictatorship, I'd want to come here too. I don't blame the... Chinese for wanting to come here, I blame a country with a porous border and such lacking uh, border restrictions that allows them to make it here. So one mom, the one that left her children in China to come here, through a translator told 60 Minutes that what motivated her was more the economic re- more than the economic reasons. She said it could be summed up in one word, freedom, freedom. And I, I don't dispute that. And you look at the ways that these folks are getting through, and there's video of it in this 60 Minutes piece. One point of entry is a four-foot gap at the end of a border fence 60 miles east of San Diego. Now, you might ask yourself, 
How do they know? How do these people coming here from halfway across the world know where these holes are? TikTok. TikTok, which is one of the most popular social media apps in the world, not quite as popular as Facebook, which celebrated its 20th birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. But it is growing immensely in popularity. It's popular all over the world. And TikTok basically has these little instruction videos, according to 60 Minutes, that are teaching them how to get through the U.S.-Mexico border. It's interesting to me that TikTok, and I'm not a big censorship guy. I'm a free speech guy. But it's interesting to me that TikTok, as soon as young people started spreading the letter that Osama bin Laden wrote in the aftermath of September 11th, TikTok couldn't censor that fast enough, but yet these videos that instruct tens of thousands of people in terms of how to break into the country most effectively, actually breaking the law. Those videos are still up. Don't get it. Uh, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. TikToker Nick Shirley said that uh, crossing the border is easy. And I'm going to play you what Nick Shirley said, but he's jumping around the fence back and forth, Mexico to U.S., like, um, you know, Dave Chappelle in uh, in uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights going from the East Bank to the West Bank. This is what uh, this particular TikToker describes. I am here in Jacumba, California. This is the United States. Over here on the other side is Mexico. I'm going to show you how easy it is to sneak across the border. All right, right now I'm in the United States and... Ahora estoy en México. It's that easy to cross the border. And people are just walking through just like this. Well, that's great. That's great. Glad that's working out. All right. 800-848-9222. Uh, four open lines if you want to comment. Jay is in Cincinnati. What's on your mind, Jay? Hey, hey Frank. Uh, the New York Times had the obituary to Jeffrey Dahmer's father recently, and uh, they had interviewed him before he passed away, and he admitted how much of a failure that him and his wife were in raising their child. They were constantly arguing. He said it was just like a battlefield. And uh, it just, look what you have. Look what the children, you see that daily, all the time. Right, so let's talk about this, right? So I, I have no doubt that that's true. But And in the case of this, again, I'm seeing the worst possible image of these parents as put forward through the prosecutor and hearing about it through cross-examination. But what do you think the legal implications of these parents should be? Should they be convicted of involuntary manslaughter? Well, it's a classic case. Uh, are the gun manufacturers uh, responsible for people being shot? I mean, that's the same story, well, isn't it? Well, I mean— there have been some civil suits along those lines uh, for the gun companies, either in terms of marketing or not having proper safety protocols. But what the prosecutors are saying here, and I- I'm kind of undecided here, which is why I'm curious as to what your view is. What the prosecutors are saying here is that the parents were so negligent that with this young man that was clearly troubled that they actually bear some of the responsibility for the people that murdered. Do you agree with the prosecutors here? It's too complicated. I just, I just haven't made my mind okay. up on that. The, the, the gun manufacturers, what have they done? They've moved out of the East Coast because of all the, you know, the lawyers and litigious society back there. They've moved down to uh, you know, different areas where they, where they can actually manufacture their product. 
Uh, Jay, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm not looking, uh, you know, I, I think this case is so interesting and potentially such a game changer for how um, future parents are going to be prosecuted that I, I think it's a much broader conversation to um, widen that to where the gum gum manufacturers come down. Look, it's it's sad. I mean, it's sad for the families of these four students that lost their lives. It's uh, you know, I look at this uh, image of this uh, Kylie Osage whose spinal cord is damaged, who's partially paralyzed, who's been in constant pain for 738 days, and as you heard Dominic reference. Basically, she is even more so than the physical pain. She's terrified. She's living in a constant state of fear. I mean, you think about when the last time you were really afraid was. And I don't know when the last time I was afraid was. I mean, it's been a while. It's not an emotion that I experience regularly. But think of how you felt the last time you were afraid. And then imagine that every single day. And in addition to her physical injuries, that's what Kylie Osage has to go through every day. And I really, um, you know, you see those stories and you think, okay, there's got to be some ramifications here. There's got to be some repercussions on the part of what the parents did or didn't do. I mean, you read that journal entry from this school shooter and think, he's basically crying out for help. He's saying the parents won't take him to a therapist. And he's got, in his view, and this is not true, obviously, no choice but to shoot up the effing school. Uh, This is someone that absolutely, I think, demonstrated every possible warning sign that he was in need of serious help. Now, what uh, Michael, the caller, said earlier is exactly right. You could have parents that do every single thing right, and some children just, they don't turn out as you'd like. Sometimes it doesn't happen that way. And I I know a lot of families where that's happened. But I'm just wondering, did their neglect cause this? And that's what the jury's going to have to decide. And Jennifer is on trial now, and then her husband, they got separate trials, I guess, so they can point the finger at the other one during their respective trials. The husband's trial is going to be next month. So this is going to be a potential domino effect for all these future school shootings, because unfortunately there's no shortage of school shootings in this country, no shortage of troubled young men carrying them out. And and a lot of times the troubled young men don't live to tell about it. So if the prosecutors in some of these jurisdictions can hold the parents accountable, then I think they will. I think they will. It's going to be interesting. We'll see. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Tony, you have a view on this at all? Well, it's not, it's hard to say, you know, um, with, with, with the parents. Are, are the parents to blame? It's, 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 it, that's a broad question. It's, it's really hard to call. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that is, that's one of the reasons that, uh, that, that uh, I raised the question, because I think it is, uh, I think it is pretty, pretty tough. I, I do think, look, there's no doubt in my mind that there's some civil culpability here. Should they actually be going to prison? That to me, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's the one I'm not ready to uh, uh, make a call on. What about you, Matt? You have a view? 100% they are to blame. And they should go to prison? Absolutely. Okay. First of all. You have to know what your son's doing. You have to know that they were neglecting him, that he had these problems. They knew that he had problems, and they totally neglected him. So, they, yeah, they bear some 
uh, fault at this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see where we go. Obviously, the prosecution, uh, they are into painting the worst possible image of their family life because that's what supports their version of events. We'll see once the mom, Mrs. Crumbly, puts on her defense if she has another take on this. We'll see. Hey, if you want to uh, find me uh, via email, you can do so. We're going to read through your emails tomorrow. Frank.Morano at RedAppleAudioNetworks.com That's Frank.Morano at RedAppleAudioNetworks.com Robert in Suffolk, I have about a minute. It's all yours. Go ahead. Okay. um, I don't feel there's criminal liability because there is no intent for the parents to have committed a crime, nor for their son to What do you say? Well, I mean, the son definitely had criminal intent. I mean, they didn't even go forward with the insanity defense for the son because it was going to be too difficult to prove under the laws in the state of Michigan for what the insanity defense is. So the son definitely had criminal intent. um, I'm going back and forth on this, right? I mean, it's it's clear to me the parents did a poor job here. Were they so negligent that it's involuntary manslaughter? I don't know. You know, Michael brought up a good point about the father buying his son the gun. I have a tough time getting past that. I really do. All right. Next hour, we're going to do something fun. What will it be? We'll see. Your influence counts. Use it.